Testament starts out with uh, four books that record the life and the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Luke is the third of what we call the Gospels. If you have your Bible, if you brought your Bible with you, I want to draw your attention to Luke uh, chapter 1. We're going to read verse uh, 26 to, uh, through verse um, 38. And uh, this is a passage that is often, often read during uh, this season. Before I read that together, um, just um, a reminder, I think, I can't remember, I think, Brent, you may have mentioned it, but um, we do have our, our Christmas Eve service. Remember that it's not at 2.30 in the afternoon next Sunday, but um, after our morning service, we're not going to have our 2.30 service, but a 6 p.m. service, a Christmas Eve service. Um, and it is a... Uh, uh, a service that is specifically designed, obviously, for not only ourselves, but various guests that we have. And some of those guests, uh, I'm encouraging you to invite them, those who are not really very familiar with the gospel, if at all. And remember, um, some of these cards were made. Um, they're on the table on the side. Uh, they might be elsewhere in the gym. I'm not sure. But pick one up if you know of someone that you've been praying for that you might want to um, uh, bring to this uh, service. Also, some invitations were sent out to you by way of uh, email. And uh, for any of the guests that we have here this morning, if you want to uh, join us, we're not asking you to forego your own Christmas Eve services, but it is at 6 p.m. If you want to join us, it'd be great to have you. All right, so Luke chapter 1, I want to begin reading at verse 26. Let's draw our attention to these words now. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, that means engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, and here is a phrase that we find quite frequently in the Christmas narrative or story of the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, and I really want to focus on um, the, the response of the angel Gabriel to Mary's question. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, and she has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Do you know how old Mary was when the angel Gabriel came to her? If you're a student of the Bible, 
you'll probably say, well, we really don't know because the Bible doesn't say, and that's true, although many commentators believe that Mary may have been, oh, uh, 13, 14, 15 years old, not very old. I'll get to that point in just a moment. But isn't it interesting that this young woman, when she hears the words of the angel Gabriel, she, she is somewhat perplexed by the words, but, but she's not doubtful. She just wants some clarification because she asks, as the angel Gabriel speaks to her, how in the world can this be? How can it be that I am going to conceive and have a child when in fact I'm a virgin? Literally, in the original language, I have known no man. I'm going to get to that as well in just a moment. But for now, what I want you to do is um, I want you to to engage your imagination this morning. And I want you to, to imagine that this, this very story that I just read from Luke chapter 1, that this very story is the first time you've ever heard this story, this account. Just try to imagine that. I'm assuming that many of us here this morning have heard this story on more than one occasion. You may be here this morning, and you may say, ah, I've heard about it, but I haven't quite really gotten into the details of it. I haven't read it myself. Maybe you have not even heard of it. You haven't read it, what have you. Oftentimes in worship services, you have different kinds of people. But I want you to imagine, especially if you've been in the Christian faith for some time, to, to think about what your reaction would be to that very story that you heard, if you've never had exposure to it before. Okay. Would you be, I would assume to a certain point, perplexed? Would you be confused? Would you be incredulous? It's like, doesn't make any sense. It's weird, strange. Would you be, in, in listening to this story, would you be like this? Would you be resistant? Or, in hearing this story, would you say to yourself, you know what, I, I have to admit, I don't understand everything that was read in that story, but I do sense that there's something sacred there. Something quite special. Now, I want you to think about Mary in the kind of response that she had. One of obvious perplexity and somewhat confusion. The angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she is going to conceive and she's going to bear a child. I'm going to suggest to you that the occasion is such that this is soon, very soon to happen to her. And that she is going to miraculously conceive and bear a special child. What the Bible calls the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Jesus who will bring redemption and restoration to his people. Indeed, as we're going to see this afternoon, restoration to the entirety of the creation. That's the wide-angle lens view of Advent in the Christmas season. So in a very special way, Mary is going to conceive. And Mary, again, she is not, it's very important that we understand this. She's not doubtful. She is not resistant, but she does have questions. And one of the questions is, how in the world 
can my, this miraculous conception take place since I am a virgin, since I have known no man? Now, Mary is young again. She's 13, 14, 15, quite young, but she understands basic human biology. And she understands that if a, if a baby is going to conceive and be born into this world, it has to happen through the union of a man and a woman. But that's not what Gabriel's getting at here. The angel Gabriel says to Mary these very words. Mary, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will come upon you and the Most High will overshadow you and this child to be born is going to be called Holy, the very Son of God. And we say, <laughs> what? Mary is wondering, like, what? And these, these certain words must have just kind of passed over her, and, and she, th she, she didn't have time to think about them, really take time to grasp them, but she heard them. She heard words like, Most High, uh, Holy Spirit, come upon you, shadow upon you, Holy Child, Son of God, all these terms, and her mind must have just been swirling. The angel Gabriel, what was he really saying at this point? He's saying, Mary, you need to understand that this, this life planted within your womb will not come from any man. Not even the man to whom you're presently engaged, Joseph. But this life that is planted in your womb will come from God himself. More specifically, the Spirit of God will come upon you and he will, and you notice it's a, it's a very important word here, this Spirit will overshadow you. <laughs> now, this is, a, this is a term that I am going to assume, maybe some of you understand what that term is referring to, but I'm assuming that most of us don't overshadow. I mean, this, this is a word that we don't use normally in our conversation from day to day, right? I mean, I can guarantee, I can almost guarantee that over the past year, in your conversations with various individuals, you have never used the word overshadow. Hey, did you hear about Dave? Yeah, he got overshadowed. Yeah, the other day I was overshadowed. We don't talk like that. But this is a very profound word that's being used here. Indeed, it is pregnant with meaning, pun intended. Okay, overshadow, overshadow. You know what that's referring to? Well, if, if you were raised with the Bible, you know that the Bible contains two basic sections. The first two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament, and the last third of the Bible is the New Testament. And oftentimes, if you want to understand the last third of the Bible, you really have to have a grasp of the first two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament. So I'm going to submit to you that when this word overshadow is used here, what it's doing is it is drawing the reader, it's drawing us back to the Old Testament. You say, well, what part of the Old Testament? The time when God delivered his people from over 400 years of slavery, 430 years of slavery in Egypt, right? You remember that, how God chose a man named Moses to lead his people out of that slavery in Egypt 
and bring them into a desert or bring them into the wilderness and eventually into what was called the promised land, the land of Canaan that was promised to their ancestor, the great father Abraham. But before they got to the promised land, they had to go into the wilderness. Do you know why God actually delivered his people from that land of Egypt, the land of slavery? It wasn't just because he's a big-hearted God and God had a heart for his people and he felt sorry for them, so I'm going to deliver them. No, God was more God-centered than that. And God said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And let them go into the wilderness to do what? To worship me. To sacrifice to me. So, the people were let go from the land of Egypt. God forced the hand of Pharaoh. The people came into the wilderness and they began to worship God. Where did they worship God? They worshiped God at a place called the tabernacle, literally the tent of meeting. It was a, it was a portable place of worship. It was a tent, a tent of worship. And so they would worship in this temple and periodically what would happen is that God himself, and this is the important point regarding the overshadowing, God himself would come down upon that tabernacle upon occasion in a cloud. Jews today call it the Shekinah or the Shekinah cloud. It was a glory cloud and God in his glory would come down upon the tabernacle and he would hover over it, but he would also fill that tabernacle of, uh, as a way of saying that I am with you, my people. I'm a sovereign God, I'm a glorious God, but I am not an aloof God. I am glorious, I am sovereign, I am holy, but I'm also with you. And God represented that by coming upon the tabernacle and filling the tabernacle. Again, to say, I'm with you here. I'm here with you in the desert. Would you put the, A.V., if you put the text up there, take a look at that if you would. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud, now notice this, the cloud settled on it, settled on the tabernacle. That word settled in the Hebrew language is a form of the word shekan, from which the Jews get shekanah or shekinah. In other words, it's the settling cloud. And that cloud and the glory of the Lord came upon it, and the glory of the Lord, it says, Filled, filled the tabernacle. You see where I'm going with this? So when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary and said that the Spirit of God will overshadow you, he's really referring back to the tabernacle when God in that great presence of his in the glory cloud came upon the tabernacle and filled it so that the angel of Gabriel is saying to Mary, Mary, just as the Lord filled the tabernacle, so too now the Lord by means of his spirit will come upon you and fill you and give you life. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I find it kind of interesting myself having, just, you know, having had the opportunity just to research it. But, you know, when you think about it, that explains some things, but there's a whole lot that's not explained here. It's still pretty mysterious, right? It's pretty strange, which for a lot of people, I think, when, even when they hear what I just explained, will just kind of maybe kick the story to the curb a bit. This doesn't resonate. It's just too strange. 
I think most people would have that kind of reaction until they understand why it had to be this way. Why Jesus needed to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, but also born of the Virgin Mary. Let, let me ask you this question. It's a theological question, and it's an important question for us to grapple with during the Christmas season, the Advent season. Do you know why it was necessary for Jesus to come into the world in this way? Do you understand why it was necessary for Jesus to be conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Do you understand why, to go one step further, why Jesus needed to be human, conceived, uh, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, but also divine, God himself, conceived by the Holy Spirit? Do we understand why Jesus, as and this is Orthodox Christian theology, needed to be one person with two natures, human and divine, both God and man? You can't understand the Christian faith without that. Okay. Here's why. Jesus needed to be God in order to provide the perfect sacrifice for sin that God required. If Jesus merely came as a human, he'd be no different than you and me. He'd be a person who sinned every day of his life. And one sinner cannot pay for another. This is one reason why Jesus needed to be God. Another reason why Jesus needed to be God is in order to guarantee the destruction of the works of the devil himself, who is very, very strong. And finally, Jesus needed to be God in order to smooth over or placate the intense wrath of God upon human sin. No human being would be able to endure that. Yesterday, um, took a walk, a walk along the, the Chilliwack River. And, um, man, there's a parking lot you park in. I forget what it was called. I, you, most of you know that. Anyway, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking on this trail, and maybe you've seen that before. You had Jehovah Witnesses. There was an older man and a younger gal. And they had all this literature, and I'm looking at that, and I'm going, yep, that's what I thought. It's a watchtower. So I said, Lord... Give me, give me a word, give me a word, help, help me to speak the gospel into the life. So I, I'm not going to share all the details, it'll take too long, but we probably had about a 20, 25 minute conversation. And oftentimes the question I will ask of Jehovah Witnesses, for those of you who are not aware of this, they are a cult, they are not a Christian group. And um, I asked them uh, how long they've been Jehovah Witnesses and what they were before they were Jehovah Witnesses, and the girl says, I grew up in it, and the guy said, he was an older man, he said, I was uh, converted in 1958. And we had a bit of a discussion about various things. And I said, you know what troubles me most, and it grieves me, and I'm going to pray for you, I said, is that, is that you struggle with who Jesus is. I said, do you believe Jesus is God? And they go, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God. A God. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is divine, but he's not fully deity. He's not fully God. He's just merely a God, a created being of Jehovah God, God the Father. And I said to them, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to ask you to turn from this and stop deluding people who keep coming to you. And here's the reason why. It's because without Jesus being fully God, 
He cannot bear the brunt of God's wrath upon sin. He cannot be guaranteed as the one who has greater power than the devil in destroying the works of the devil. Without being Jesus being God, we are absolutely lost. And it's that little girl that broke my heart because she's just sitting there and she's trying to search through the scriptures as they do, trying to find that place to say, no, 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 that's not what we believe. She was, she was such a beautiful girl. I mean, if there was ever a picture, honestly, of what you think the Virgin Mary looked like, it was that little girl. My friends, you know, there, there are times we have to love on people and sometimes we have to speak truth into people's lives forcefully. As the Apostle Paul says, speak the truth in love. Because the truth is, without Jesus being God, you and I, this, this, this whole Christmas season is just, we're lost to it. We're just lost to it. Why did Jesus need to be human? And I'll be very br brief with this. Jesus needed to be human and he needed to provide a human sacrifice in order to deal with human sin. Listen, Jesus didn't come into this world as an angel. Jesus didn't come into this world as an animal, as a goat or a sheep. These prefigured the coming of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ didn't come as a goat or as a sheep. He came as a human being because you and I as human beings sinned against God. So here's the point, without going on and on regarding this theological dimension of the story. Listen, Christmas is about what we call the incarnation. You know what that word means? It, it refers to the enfleshing of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ took on human flesh like you and I have in order to deal with our sin problem and to bring us to God. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas season. That's what Advent is all about. That's what the Christmas season is all about. Still, as I said, there's a lot of people who look at this story and they just go, you know what, it's just, I don't know. You ever talk to people like that? Maybe you're like that here this morning where you just, it's, it's, maybe you wish it was true, but you have a hard time grasping the fact that it is true. Because it just seems so irrational. so beyond us and yet and yet there have been millions I mean think about this there have been millions of people around the world and throughout history and even today who read a story like this and while they do not understand it fully they do say like Mary I do believe, though. I do believe. Because they realize that unless Jesus came as both human and divine, there is no hope for any one of us. There's no hope for any one of us here. We heard a little bit about that faith, did we not, here this morning? That simple trusting in Christ. I want to suggest to you that when Adele and Ezra and Cassidy came up front here and stood right here and four questions were addressed to them in which they said what? Uh, I have more time to think about this. I, I, I think that um, 
I, I think I, I want to relook at this before I say yes. No, they all said yes. And I want to suggest to you this morning that they didn't say yes to Jesus and the gospel and the Bible and even the Christmas story because they were forced into this or pressed into this or because they grew up in the Christian church and it was just simply the expectation that was placed upon them or because they were simply parroting the faith of their parents. No, they said it because by the grace of God, it was the conviction of their hearts. Which raises the question as we close now, the question is, what about us? I mean, what about you? What, what are you doing with this story? Do you, do you say, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice story, or I've heard it many, many times. Does this story grip you? Does it, does it, despite not being able to answer all the questions, does it bring you joy knowing that Jesus Christ came in human flesh, the eternal Son of God took on human flesh for you? You know, Mary, you take a look at Mary. I want you to take a look at the last verse and then, and then just a moment after that. You know, um, the angel Gabriel said to Mary that she was going to miraculously conceive by the power of the Spirit. Now, at verse 34, she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's a valid question. Do you remember previously in the Luke chapter 1 how the angel comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth, Elizabeth being Mary's cousin, and says to them basically as well, it's going to be a miraculous thing, but you, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you haven't been able to have kids all your married life, and you're well advanced in years. Who knows? They're probably in their 70s or in their 80s at this point. But he says, you are going to conceive. And Zechariah's response is, how, should, how am I going to know this? Now, it's a different question than Mary. Zechariah doubted in his heart actually, that that was going to take place. And so the angel causes him to be mute. He couldn't speak for six months. Angel, or, um, Mary hears the angel, and how does she respond? She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's not doubt. That's just mere perplexity. But in the end, here's Mary's words. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, my friends, listen. As Mary surrendered herself to the word of the angel and the truth that he spoke, may that surrender indeed be part of our hearts as well. And may we embrace this truth that as God has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ and as Jesus himself has drawn near to us in taking on human flesh, May we also, in turn, be drawn to the Savior who is sent in the world to save us from our sins. That's the gospel, and may we embrace it with all our hearts. Let's have a brief prayer together. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we want to thank you so much for sending Jesus into this world. As oftentimes pray here, Lord, we also thank you, Lord Jesus, that in obedience to your Father's will, you came to this earth, humbled and impoverished by taking on human flesh in order to identify with us, save us, become our friend, and draw us to our Father. Thank you for that. 
Oh, Lord, may our response be one of cherishing, one of love, one of repentance, of faith, and an embrace of this very Jesus who's come for us to embrace us, to forgive us, to reconcile us to you, O oh Father, and to make us heirs of eternal life. Thank you for this, O oh Lord, from the bottom of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song oftentimes that is sung during the Advent season. It is entitled, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. So why don't we do this? Um, let's stand. We're going to sing this song together. And then we're going to receive the Lord's parting blessing and end with a final song.